Hi, I'm Renee Evans, co-senior leader of Bethel Austin. Make sure that you like and subscribe to our weekly sermons so that you don't miss what is happening here at Bethel Austin. We pray that this message inspires and encourages you. And most of all, we pray that you would have an encounter with the living God today. Wow, thanks guys. We, we want to take just a couple of minutes, but we want to dedicate this building formally to the glory of God. It's so important. Now, we, we know we're kingdom people. We know that God doesn't live in buildings. He lives in bodies of believers. But this building, as of today forward, is going to be uniquely set apart for the glory of God. Think of the hundreds and hundreds of children they're going to be taught the word of God. They're going to be, you know, raised up in a, in a great atmosphere. All of the baptisms are going to take place in this building. Weddings, no doubt there's going to be amazing miracles of healing and, and uh, people coming to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So this building is going to be, as of today, supernaturally dedicated for the glory of God. Um, I was thinking about this building, and I wrote this. This building is not a monument to our movement, but instead it's an apostolic center, a mode of operation, a training, equipping, and sending center. And I was thinking about the location and how it's in the, right in the heart of the beast. And uh, when, David, uh, when David took Zion and put the tabernacle of David on Mount Zion, it was the city of the Jebusites, which means polluted or diluted. And I think it's not by chance that they're in the city of Austin, which is the capital of Texas, and we're down the street. And I just really believe that this church is to have a strategic impact, not just on the Christians of this community, but on the actual community itself. Yeah. And that you guys are cultural architects shaping the future and the present city of, uh, and, and, and state of Texas. And I, I really believe that this is a center where we'll train and equip not just people who will be uh, pastors and, and, uh, and those kind of leaders, religious leaders, but I believe that this, this is going to become a training and equipping center where literally that this building is going to grow and grow. And I think that, and I, I see other buildings strategically located in the city where we're going to train people for every realm of culture, and they're going to be disguised like uh, technologists, but they're actually going to be revivalists, if you will, Holy Spirit terrorists. <laughs> we don't, by the way, we shouldn't be terrorizing people, but we should terrorize the devil. I think scare the hell out of the devil would be a better way to put it. So we're dedicating this building to the work of God. Not that the building itself is a monument, but it is, but it is a, a, a mode of operation, a place where we raise up revivalists. And super excited about being here on Dedication Day. Amen. So let's all stand. And I want you to turn towards the closest wall, all right? And if you want to go lay hands upon the wall, you have that freedom right now. Uh, that includes the back. If we have any of the worship team, it, it would be great if all the worship team that was up here, if, if they would come back up for just a second to uh, likewise as we dedicate this platform, the carpet. I mean, there's going to be a lot of faces on this carpet <laughs> yeah. over the next few years. Come on. There's going to be tears shed. There's going to be laughter that will reverberate off of the walls of this mm -hmm. building. 
and we're so grateful. Look at what God has done, guys. Mm. I mean, this is a miracle. And, and on mm. behalf of, of all the staff, the team, my wife, Candace, Chris, and I, thank you for mm. the donors. Thank you for those who sacrificially yeah. gave to help us move into this facility. And as you look around, this is the smallest the church will ever be. You'll never be this size again. Yes. So enjoy <laughs> the, the, the family that we have now because your family's getting bigger. We may have to add an addition and uh, other rooms in the days to come. All right. Lift your hands to God. Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus that you have brought us to this place, that you have given Bethel Austin a nest. Mm -hmm. uh, an incubator, a place mm -hmm. where revival glory can swirl, where the open heaven can be tangible. It can be mm -hmm. experienced by everyone who comes through these doors. We dedicate the doors of this building to Jesus Christ and all who pass through these gates, all who come under the property, Lord, that they will sense the flame divine, the sacredness of this place where the glory of God will be deposited to impact the city of Austin and beyond. So in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we together, we dedicate this building to the glory of God. Now say these words after me. Thank you, Jesus, for giving us a church home and a church family. We say amen to what you're doing in this house and what you're going to do in days to come. And we join our prayers as one body and say, look at what the Lord has done. And we thank you, Jesus, and we lift up our praise to you today in your holy name. All right, cut loose, guys. Come on, this is better than uh, UT game. <laughs> Come on, give it up. Give him praise today. So as you take a seat, guys, I trust everyone now has uh, the, the Holy Communion in your hands. And I've, I've told my congregation many times that the real true believers are those who can take the first piece off without taking the cup piece off. And that will verify your authentic, the authenticity of your faith. Before we... Before we take communion, I, I have just very brief remarks, but I, I, I have something so powerful, it has changed my life. And it's about one verse in Psalm 22, verse 6. If you have a Bible, you can go there on your Bible app. You can check this out. But Psalm 22, 6 is the psalm of the cross. This is the psalm of Jesus suffering on the cross for us. It starts with, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which was the first thing Jesus said on the cross. So it, he, Psalm 22 was fulfilled. 33 prophecies were fulfilled the day Jesus Christ was crucified. There's no way any human being could predict uh, it, one day's events where 33 prophecies would be perfectly fulfilled on that day. That's how powerful God's word is. Now, 22.6, do you have it? It's a peculiar verse. 
Jesus on the cross says, I am a worm and, and not a man. I, I'm like a worm. And from this verse, an entire theology has come out of we're all wretched worms. And I'm going to shatter that here as we look at what this really means. The Hebrew word is tola. Everybody say tola. It's T-O-L-A, tola. It's a unique worm. The genus or the species of worm is actually called Cocus ilicus. And this worm in the Middle East, uh, when it's time to give birth, the worm would come up on a tree and would fasten itself, affix itself so permanently on the tree that it would, it would expire there. It would die on that tree. Is anybody following me? that this worm would bond to the tree and then give birth. And as it died, the, uh, the inward parts of this worm would, would be a crimson stain. It would become scarlet. You see, the word tola also means scarlet. It's the color scarlet in Hebrew, but it's also the worm from which the scarlet dye was derived. Uh, dyeing clothing back 2,000 years ago was a massive issue. It was very expensive, and, and, and the common people would not have color on their clothing. So it was for royalty. So this worm would expire, would die, and the, the young it would give birth to would feast on the, the body. They would eat the body. And to get the crimson dye... To get the scarlet dye, they would they go out into the forest and they would see a stain on a tree. They would see a crimson stain on this tree. And that's where they knew they could find that specific worm and, and acquire the dye. Isn't that powerful? There's more. In three days, that crimson stain turned white. It became white. And... You know, Isaiah says, though your sins be as scarlet, just wait, they'll be white as snow. So when Jesus says, I am Tola, he's saying, I'm giving my life and my body for you to feast on. And my blood will make you whiter than snow and remove every sin of your life. My friend, today, come to know him as you take this sacred communion. Hold the, the wafer in your hand, please. Some of you don't believe me, but you believe Google. So it's C-O-C-C-U-S-I-L-I-C-U-S. -C -C -I -I -C Cocos alicus is the genus of that worm. <sighs> or pronounce it, <laughs> hold the wafer, please, in your hand. And as you're holding this, the Bible nowhere tells us. And we all come from different church backgrounds. Some of us are nuns. You know, we come from no background. Um, but whatever you believe about what is in your hand, I hope you'll make room for what the Bible says. Jesus did not say, this is a symbol. Eat this like cardboard. No, he, he said, uh, this has to pierce us. This is my body. Say, so what does that mean? Am I actually eating his body? I don't know. You go tell me. But this is my body, Jesus said.
the last day on earth, he gathered his beloved ones. And in a wedding covenant, he offered himself to his bride. And he said, this is my body given for you. It's not broken for you because the body of Christ cannot be broken. It's a mistranslation. There's no verse in the Bible that says my body's broken because you cannot break the body of Christ. They couldn't break his legs. And our unity will not be broken. But this is my body given, which is given for you. Will you take his body now? Father, bless this sacred moment in this beautiful church with these lovely people. And we feast on what you've given to us in Jesus' name. Let's eat together. And it's the same with the cup. It's not a symbol. Folks, we don't, we don't worship symbols. It's substance. Jesus said, this is my blood, which is given for many for the forgiveness of sins. Take it, all of you, he says. Drink it in my name and receive the forgiveness of sins. This is the wedding covenant, the cup of bliss that we share. This is bridegroom and bride in perfect love, in perfect union. We are clean by the blood of Jesus, not by works of righteousness we have done, but by the graces of God and the sweet cleansing of the blood of Jesus. You're holding it in your hand right now. So we give you thanks, God. We give you our praise that you bled to death, Jesus. Sacred drops of love fill this cup. You would rather go to hell for us than live in heaven without us. You've given everything. And we thank you with all our heart. Let's drink together. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> How many times this weekend have I said, what just happened? <laughs> First night, I said, my head's exploding. Second night, I think I said, I have no head left. And this morning, any shrapnel pieces that were left over just dissolved, disintegrated into dust. <laughs> the crimson, the worm. Incredible. <clears throat> I'm about to introduce our speaker, but uh, last night we had, a, we had a, a miracle happen, and I got up at the end. Some people may have left. I shared it, but a gentleman who had, um, and then I got more details this morning, but a gentleman who had a tumor high up in his nasal passages had it uh, removed with proton radiation, but it damaged his uh, optic nerve. Um, from that, and it left him uh, with severe uh, uh, eyesight depletion. He couldn't see well at all, and got prayer um, this weekend, and got his sight uh, fully restored last night. And then, uh, and then, and then woke up this morning to send, send our friend a text message. Woke up this morning able to read crystal clear. 
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. <clears throat> yeah, and it's just the start. <laughs> Amen. He's going to do so much more. Awesome. Well, it's my privilege to uh, introduce our speaker this morning, who isn't just a speaker. Uh, Chris is the the senior associate pastor of uh, Bethel Church, Reading, but effectively, he's really the CEO of a global movement. But he's also a father. And uh, with everything that he's got going on in his world, his life, everything that they're building at light speed, he took time to be here with us to help us uh, launch this time because he's a father. And he's not just a father, he's a master builder. Like, like Paul refers to in the Bible, I've been, I've been watching him for almost 20 years now, and I, I made the, uh, the comment at, at dinner last night, uh, just, it, I've learned how to lead and, and to, to counsel and to pastor in the church world by sitting in, in staff meeting for almost uh, 15 years, just watching Chris and Bill and the team uh, do what they do, and I'm just so eternally grateful for your influence and input and grace and father in our lives. So one more time, can you welcome Chris Valentin as a father to this house as he comes up to share with us this morning. Wow, thank you so much. Um, it's always weird getting up and preaching after Brian. <laughs> I just don't know how to even. I have to keep my eyes on Jesus, which I don't usually have to do. <laughs> it's a joke, of course. And uh, I married Tiffany and Jeff. Jeff, right? 16 years ago. And I've only done 10 weddings in my whole life. And, uh, and Tiffany's um, mom and dad worked with me, and Tiffany's mom passed many years ago. And after she passed, uh, they asked if I would do her wedding, and I didn't even know they were here. In fact, I wouldn't have recognized her, but Jeff, when you were playing guitar, um, um, Renee was telling me, yeah, and he's from, he married Tiffany, and her last name was Holt. I'm like, oh my gosh, I think I married them. So I went and asked her, did I marry you? And she's like, yes, you did. <laughs> so cool. And uh, so what a beautiful time just to be here, a special time. And then I, I want to say to the architects and builders, right? You guys built this place. And, and, and uh, you know, we, we, we've been perpetually building for 20 years. And I've never had the architect come one time to dedicate anything we've ever done. So I just want to say thank you for coming here and being here at the dedication, and, and uh, I just pray God's blessing on you, that he would richly, uh, you know, multiply your, your wealth, in, you know, in, on every dimension. And, and so, sometimes I, I know why the builders didn't come to our dedication. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I was talking to our team, and they were telling me uh, at lunch, couple, the first day, how, what a great job you did, and how you, um, how your relationship was just strengthened as you guys continued to work together. And as you all know, because you're in the business, that doesn't always happen. So just, if we can just give it up for them again. I just... 
Awesome. So good. Thanks for being here. Uh, I want to give away a couple of books. Um, this is uh, the book my wife just wrote, The Good, the God, and the Ugly, The Inside Story of a Supernatural Family, which is ours. And uh, she, this book was actually inspired out of people asking her, like, what's your side of the story? <laughs> and I, I forbid her to tell that for many years. <laughs> so she, she wrote this, this book, and it's uh, full of stories, and then what she learned in every chapter, there's a life lesson of what she learned from the story, what we learned together. And uh, it was so funny because I did the first edit on the book, right? And so I'm, I'm going through the edit, and I'm like, that's not how that story happened. <laughs> She's like, yeah, that's how that story happened. And so we had some really passionate dialogues about the details. Because <laughs> I've written some of these stories in other books, and I'm like, people are going to think I'm lying. <laughs> and so, uh, but this is really a beautiful book. Um, would anyone like this book? Okay, good. You can buy those books out, <laughs> right off the book table right there. Why don't you, huh? Yeah, go ahead. You can have it. And uh, I want to give this to the architects, if it's all right. Um, this is uh, Spiritual Intelligence, The Art of Thinking Like God. And uh, it's actually about the art of thinking like God. <laughs> and, um, you know, Romans 12, 2 says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So when your mind's renewed, you think like God, right? But in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, it says, we have the mind of Christ, and it goes on to say that no one knows the thoughts of a man except for the spirit of the man that's in him. And then the next verse says, no one knows the thoughts of God except for the spirit of God that's in him. And then it goes on to say, we've received not the spirit, who's, uh, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who's from God, that we might know the thoughts of God. And what I'm getting at is that when we renew our mind, we think like God, but when we have the mind of Christ, we think God thoughts. Um, the difference would be your neighbor hates you and he throws rocks at you and curses you. And you're, when you're thinking like God, you're like, how does God think about that? Well, God, you know, God said, Jesus said, you know, bless those who persecute you, love your enemies, so on and so forth. So we go, I should love my neighbor even though he hates me. So we're thinking like God. But when we're thinking God thoughts, we say, Lord, what's going on with my neighbor and all of a sudden we realize and we hear the Lord say, oh, his father was a pastor and he abused him and he lived a double life. And so when he sees you, he, he sees his father and, and therefore he hates you because he hates his father. How many know that's not thinking like God, that's thinking the thoughts of God. Yeah. Now I can actually do something with the information I have, which we would might call word of knowledge. I can, ha I can create a strategy, a spirit-led strategy because I actually have inside information to be why he behaves like that. And I think we need both, right? We need to think like God, but we actually need to have the mind of Christ. And I believe the mind of Christ is like Google God. <laughs> like you can actually access the, the internet of God and the God who, who was never created and who made everything. So um, this is a good book. It's one of the best books I've ever read. <laughs> and I wrote it. And uh, could you give that to one of the architects? Thank you very much. All right, why don't you grab a hand and let's pray. And you're sitting next to someone you'd like to date. You can just squeeze their hand. That would be <laughs> awesome. And if it's a yes, just squeeze back. And I just, I just want to keep up the tradition. Some of you are married. You're like, most excitement you've had is your wife squeezed your hand for the first time in years. <laughs> um, 
It won't get better than that because we just took Song of Solomon out of the sexual realm. And so just squeeze hands. <laughs> Kidding. Anyway, you had to be here for the teaching. It was awesome. Lord, we just bless what you're doing right now. We bless what you're doing here. We bless what you're doing among the people here and the people who are watching online, Lord. And we just, we pray, God, that you would, that you would open our hearts and that we would be able to perceive things, not just as they're said, but as you mean them. And I, I pray for Holy Spirit for you to be the great teacher today, for you to be the great tutor, the great discipler today, that you would shape us and mold us for the sake of the world, for the sake of the kingdom. Amen. Thank you very much. Um, this morning, I want to talk about something that's really close to my heart. I, I, I call this message the Malachi Mandate. And I just uh, finished writing a book on on fatherlessness, I think it's going to be called Uprising. I think we settled on the, on the title, Uprising, the Epic Battle to Restore the Hearts of Men. And um, I, it, it, this, uh, for me, this began, well, obviously, uh, I've been involved with uh, helping uh, to the restoration of family. I started Moral Revolution, so I have a real passion for the, the whole thing of, of uh, Moral Revolution. But about four years ago, I think it was a year before COVID, so maybe three years ago, we have a, a prayer meeting where, in which we just pray for government. You pray for our cities, and it's just one hour prayer meeting. We just dedicate it uh, one hour to praying for uh, just for our, our city leaders, our government leaders. Um, we, we do pray for our church leaders, but we have a real focus on praying specifically for our country. So instead of complaining about it, just like, why don't we pray about it? And why don't we get strategies? So anyway... I, um, I walked into the meeting, and uh, we have a couple of people who they, they actually developed the strategy for the week, and they, they developed some PowerPoint. So it's very crafted prayer. Like most of Bethel's super spontaneous, but we felt like we should have a strategic prayer time where we pray, where we actually get a plan during the week about what should the strategic prayer be about. And so we so I usually, you know, they, they send me a text uh, the night before and say, are you good with this, this theme? But anyway, so I walked into uh, that morning, and we were praying uh, Malachi 4. Um, the team had uh, felt that we were to go after fatherlessness. And so they were praying um, this prayer, and I'll, I'll read it to you, Malachi 4, 5. Behold, I'm going to send Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Lisa, I come and strike the land with utter decree of destruction. And so um, we were praying that prayer. And um, just different people were praying. It's a prayer meeting. It's, a, it's pretty small. There's like maybe 100 people max, usually around 75. But it's a prayer meeting, like people who actually pray. Like we don't advertise it anywhere. We just, people who like to pray come. And it's like a Holy Ghost prayer meeting. Do you know what I mean? Not like a, oh, dear Lord prayer meeting. It's like a Holy Ghost prayer meeting. And so we were, we were uh, passionately going after this Malachi 4. And, and it was my turn, and I, I had my mic on, and I started uh, just praying for the restoration of fatherhood. And uh, as I did, I, I had this vision, this intense vision. It wasn't an open vision. I didn't see it with my eyes. But it was, it was in my mind's eye. And uh, as I was praying, I began to see men leaving their homes. They were downcast in tattered clothes. You kind of get the idea. And they were just walking down the street as if they were 
as if they were walking aimlessly, but they were all heading towards a common direction. Kind of like, uh, kind of like birds fly south in the winter. It was like something got triggered, something turned on in them, uh, uh, like there was a, a homing device that came on, and they were just leaving their homes. And at first, it was a few in the streets. You know how weird visions are. And then pretty soon, there was there w- there was tens and then twenties and then hundreds and then thousands. And they were all downcast, and they were all in tattered clothes, and they were all moving in one direction. And kind of like, um, kind of like you would see um, a, a, a video uh, that's taken by a drone. I was w- looking from above, and I could see that they were all moving towards this stadium. Or I could say stadiums, but I saw one but knew there were many. And these men were flooding the stadium, and I could hear before I could see, I could hear the voice of a man preaching in the stadium. And it was the sound, it was the voice of my son, Jason. And he was saying, welcome men, welcome men, you've come here to learn how to be a man. And as they walked into the stadium, you know how strange visions are, as they walked into the stadium, their clothes changed to nice clothes and their countenance changed to brightness as they sat and learned how to be men. Sorry. And so intense was the vision. I've never done this before, but I took out my, my phone and, I, and while I was in the vision, still in the vision, I, I wanted to capture the moment. You know how, you know, and two hours later you can feel completely different as the, as the, the that grace lives, lifts. So while I was in the moment, I started texting my son. And, and, you know, not normally what you do when you're in prayer meeting. And I said, I'm, in, I'm having this vision. And I began to ex- describe the vision to him as, as clear as I could, what I just described to you. And I said, I saw you in a stadium, was filling stadiums with men, and you were teaching men how to be men. And my son's the most terrible texter backer. Like, have you ever had someone so delay their text, you wonder if they're angry with you, or did you do something wrong? He's like that. He, he pushes my insecurity buttons constantly. Thank you. you are, may all your, may God bless your camels. May none of them have ticks. So, a oh, little laughter helps. So, but... Five seconds later, he texted me back, and he said, Dad, I had the same vision five months ago that we were filling the stadiums with men, and we were teaching men how to be men. And so, uh, anyway, uh, something just started, exploded in in our hearts, in my my son's heart, and uh, it was a Sunday or two or three Sundays later, I don't know, it was like within a month, Bill was preaching on Sunday morning, and he uh, said, hey, why don't you lead the prayer time? I'm like, good. So I didn't have anything in my heart to pray that morning, so I just turned around in my seat while the worship was happening, and I was just like, okay, Lord, if you have, if you have a theme on your heart, uh, please feel free to give it to me now. It'd be great. And uh, I heard this word, prepare for reentry. Prepare for reentry. And I was like, prepare for reentry. I honestly had no idea what that meant, like prepare for reentry. And so I was like, 
um, just trying to, okay, prepare for reentry. Lord, it'd be nice if I had some idea what that phrase meant, prepare for reentry. And, and, and immediately as I started to like pray into what does this phrase prepare for reentry, I suddenly had another vision, again in my mind, of the prodigal son's father going out day after day looking for his son to return and remembering that he had already prepared the fattened calf, the robe, the ring, and the sandals, that he was looking in hopeful expectation for the return of his wayward son, that he didn't turn the, his, his farm into a house of prostitution to draw his son back. He waited for his son to be tired of the pig farm, but every day he went out and watched and waited in, ex, in hopeful expectation until his son returned. And so I got up that morning and I started sharing about hopeful expectation that the Lord wanted us to prepare for the re-entry of the prodigal fathers and prodigal sons and prodigal daughters and prodigal mothers. And we had this powerful prayer meeting and, uh, and, uh, about the preparation of re-entry. For the, and so I, I believe we're in this, sorry, I believe that we're in this, this uh, if you will, a, a divine epoch season for the restoration of fatherhood. And I, I want to tell you that, did you, isn't it, it's, it's interesting to me that Malachi prophesied of a time, not when there be a lack of fathers, but when there be the absence of fathering. But what I'm getting at is that this is the most fatherless generation in the history of the world in which our fathers are alive, but not home. And what I'm getting at, in the Civil War, 687,000 men died. Mostly men died in the Civil War. It took, two, it took two decades to replace those fathers in our homes. But they weren't, they weren't absent because they had left the home. They were absent because they had left the earth. But this is the most fatherless generation in the history of the world in which our fathers are alive, but they're not home. And by the way, I, I believe a lot in motherhood, and this morning and we're going to focus on fathers. But um, just for you to remember, I wrote the book Fashion to Reign, Empowering Women in Their Divine Destiny. So I believe very much in that men and women are equally powerful and distinctly different. But I, I wanted to just give you a few statistics. In 1950, less than 5%, actually 4.2% of all children in America were born out of wedlock, 4.2%. Of all children in America were born out of wedlock. In, 20, in 2017, which is the latest statistics that I could find, um, over 51% uh, of all American children are born out of wedlock in America. I don't know what you, if you got what I just said. Only 49% of the children in America are born with a dad. In, um, in South Africa, in Ruger Park, South Africa, they, um, they did this, uh, they were, the, the African elephant was going extinct, and so they purposely bred the, elf, the African elephant in Ruger Park in, in South Africa. And, uh, and they were so, so successful at breeding the African elephant that it came off the extinct list, but not only did it do that, but it began to it began to fill the South African Ruger Park with too many elephants. So they said, what are we gonna do with all these elephants? So they decided to ship some of the elephants to a close park, another close uh, park in South Africa. 
And, uh, and they, so they, they took him by helicopter. By, and like, how do you, you can't really FedEx, you know, an elephant. So <laughs> what do you do with them? How do you get them there? So they got these huge um, helicopters that they, you know, they used to lift logs with. And they made harnesses and they took these, these uh, elephants. Uh, they transplanted many of these elephants over to another park uh, in South Africa. And what happened, though, is when they went to move the large male mature bull elephants, they were so heavy that it kept breaking the harnesses. And they didn't think much of it. They, they said, well, that's all right. We've got, we've got the younger male elephants over there, and we have the female elephants over there. It's no big deal. But what happened within six months is that the rhinoceroses um, were suddenly dying in the park that where, they, where they were transplanted, where the elephants were transplanted. And, and they, they thought that there was, they were being poached by, uh, by hunters who wanted to their, their, their tusks. And so they set up cameras. At first, they thought they were dying from disease, but then they noticed that they were all gorded in the side. So they set up cameras. But also, the other thing is nobody took the tusks, so they was really couldn't figure out what's going on. So they set up cameras in the, in the wilderness and, and watched. And what they found out is that the young male elephants were actually gorging and, and killing the rhinoceroses, which are, they actually live together. They're, they're not natural enemies. They don't, they don't kill each other. And so they, they were trying to figure out why these, these elephants were so destructive. In fact, they were actually killing some other animals also. And so after several months, they said, well, the only thing we know that's different is that when we imported these these, these elephants, the, the older, mature elephants didn't get imported because, they, because they, of, of the, the harness issue. So they said, well, maybe that's it. So they, they, they built bigger, better harnesses, and they started importing the older, male, mature elephants, and they, they infused them into the other park. And within six weeks, all the killing stopped. And this is how the scientists put it. The mature elephants were teaching the other elephants how to be elephants. The question becomes, what happens when fathers are, when homes and children are raised without a father? Like, what happens when you remove fathering from the homes of children and families. I want to give you a few statistics. These aren't all of them, obviously, in, in this one-hour message, but here's uh, some statistics. 90% of all American inmates are men, and, and 75 to 90%, and, there, and I'll tell you why there's a difference in the statistic, 75 to 90% of all inmates grew up without a father. Um, the reason why there's a 15% difference is because uh, I read many statistics and many uh, uh, documentaries on, on this is because of uh, the definition of fatherlessness. So some men had a dad who was home, but he wasn't present. So we could say 75% of all men who are in incarcerated grew up without a dad. 63% of all youth suicides are from fatherless homes. And by the way, that's from the U.S. Department of Health. And that's five times average. Your, your, our children are, are five times more likely to attempt suicide if they don't have a dad at home. 
90% of all homeless runaway children are from fatherless homes. Your kids are 32 times more likely to run away from home if they don't have a dad. 85% of all children who show behavior disorders come from fatherless homes. You're 20 times more likely to have behavior disorders if you don't have a dad. By the way, that's the center of disease control. 80% of all rapists come from fatherless homes. You're 14 times more likely to rape someone if you don't have a dad. 71% of all high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. You're nine times more likely to drop out of school if you don't have a dad. The statistics go on and on and on. I didn't know any of this until the Lord gave us this subject, and I began to do some research. And then as time went on, I felt like I was supposed to write a book on it. And so I spent hundreds of hours. Actually, I did spend hundreds of hours, but I I um, had an intern who loved to do research, and I had her researching. She was sending me just reams and reams of, of information about fatherlessness. And what's crazy is when you get done reading all the information, you're wondering, you start to wonder why every politician, every government official, every teacher, every pastor, every shepherd, anyone who cares anything about society isn't shouting, this is a problem. About 12 years ago, Danny Silk and I got together 50 leaders from our city, um, all, mostly secular leaders. We had the sheriff there. We had the police chief there. We had the probation, head of probation there. We had the head of the justice department there. We had, um, we had three principals there. We had two superintendents of schools. You get the idea. These were the people. These were like the people who were actually uh, the leaders of our culture and society in our city. And we had a whiteboard up, and we were leading, and we, we invited them into a discussion about what are the deep-rooted issues in our city. And we, I was up there with a, with a, with a, uh, on the whiteboard taking notes, and I said, uh, I went around, we went around to every single person, and we said, in two minutes each, can you tell us what is the greatest challenge you face in your job on a daily basis? When we left that night, three hours later, there was one word on the board, fatherlessness. The police chief cited fatherlessness. The superintendent of schools cited fatherlessness. The probation officer cited fatherlessness. The medical doctor, I mean, it went on and on. And we, when we finished the night, there was one, I'm telling you, there was only one word on the entire board, fatherlessness. Like it is an, you wanna talk about a pandemic? This is the real pandemic. The real pandemic is at the root of nearly every single dysfunction in our country. Fatherlessness. You want to know why people, why Americans are moving towards socialism? Because they've been raised by the government. They don't know how to make a living because they were raised on government programs. And by the way, if you want to look into that, and again, you can tell that this is a whole long a lot bigger message than we're going to do in an hour. But if you want to look into that, you'll see that our government is actually funding what we don't want. The more children you have out of wedlock, the more money you get. When you instill a father, the less money you get. We're actually funding the problem. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how, how depressed you want to be before I tell you some answers. <laughs> I mean, the statistics are staggering. And it's growing. The problem isn't, isn't getting better. It's growing year after year. 
the suicide rate in America is a pandemic. You seldom hear about it. It's a pandemic. And, and we're being taught that now there's, the, the, there's a movement to deconstruct the family. And, and the LGBTQ movement, the activists, want to, want to make moms and dads interchangeable. Okay, well, I know I'm going to offend some people. I'm not trying to. I'm just trying to tell you what's actually going on. You may say, I agree with that. I'm just telling you what I think the issue is, not what I think the issue is, what I know the issue is. So you have, you know, now we have toxic masculinity. What is toxic masculinity? It's, it's the aggression of men. And by the way, what happens to men when they don't have dads? They get more aggressive because they don't know how to manage their aggression. <laughs> what happens when your mom raises you? You end up with a feminized culture. And, and mom is oftentimes offended at a man because she was abandoned. What happens when your mom, who's offended at men, at, 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 at her husband or ex-husband or whoever impregnator, what happens when she's offended? She spreads the offense to her daughters, to her, to her sons, and it goes on and on. You want to talk about why homosexuality is growing, why abortion is growing, why the... Why the, why the uh, Maternal instinct is, is gone. I mean, it's all traces back to fatherlessness. Like, you're not going to cure any of those things without curing fatherlessness. And now, we, in, in California schools in 2016, we passed genderless curriculum. Genderless curriculum. And from five years old on, we're teaching our kids in California that your gender is fluid, a choice you make, not a biological fact. Why are we doing that? Because, again... The ultimate goal is to deconstruct a family and to teach everyone that you can, a mom and a dad are the same. They're interchangeable. You can have two moms or two dads. It's a functioning family. It's a, it's a normal family. And I'd like to propose men are not women and men, men and women are not men. When people, <laughs> trying to tell you. When people tell men, get in touch with your feminine side, I'm sorry, that's the only way to do that is to marry. Because yeah, God created Adam, both male and female, and then in the second chapter, he put Adam to sleep and he took the woman out of the man. I'm quoting the Bible exactly. It says, and put Adam, when Adam woke up, he said, your flesh and my flesh, bone of my bone, you shall be called woman because you were taken out of the man. You were taken out of the man. There's no woman in the man anymore. And when God said he's going to make uh, uh, a helper for Adam, suitable, the word suitable means opposite of, and helper is the word Ezra, or Ezra, and, it, and, it, and God was named helper 13 times and woman three times. So the woman is not the man. The woman is the opposite of the man. As a matter of fact, I think when Adam woke up, this is my rendition of it, when he, I believe that Adam was both male and female. In fact, how was the woman taken out of the man lest, he was once, lest she was once in him? I think that when God looked for a suitable helper, I think he, when he put Adam to sleep, he took the woman out of the man. And when Adam woke up, he saw that was what, what was once inside of him in front of him. And he said, I got to get that back. So he immediately wanted to marry. He wanted to merge. Marry means merge. He said, you'll bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Um, you shall be called woman because you were taken out of the man. Therefore, this is still Adam prophesying. A man shall leave his father and mother. How you know it's a prophecy? Adam didn't have a father. 
uh, will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one. Why shall the two become one? Because the one became two. You don't notice God never counts men, women in a crowd again. He says there's 5,000 men, 3,000 men, 2,000 men. Why? Because God counts the two as one. <laughs> two men can't not merge. Two women cannot merge. Okay. I'm just trying to tell you the truth. So why does God call, why does God send Elijah the prophet? Isn't it interesting? There was only two people in the Bible who never died, Enoch and Elijah. And, uh, and so Elijah has this showdown with the prophets of Jezebel, the prophets of Baal, 450 prophets of Baal. And you remember the story? Elijah, all of uh, Israel was serving Baal. And God said in, uh, through Moses that if you serve me, here's all the blessings on your life. But if you serve other gods, here are the curses. Thank God we live on the other side of the cross. Aren't you glad for the blood of Jesus Christ? Because now God makes it rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. But how many know in the old covenant, it didn't rain on the unrighteous? So Elijah stops the rain for three and a half years. So, so severe is the famine that literally people, the Israelites are cannibal. I'm, yeah, the Israelites are cannibalizing each other. They're eating each other. That's how bad the famine was. And because it was Elijah who stopped the rain, he became public enemy number one, FBI most wanted list. And the king Ahab was after him for three and a half years, thinking, if I kill Elijah, it will rain again. But it doesn't rain for three and a half years, and Elijah stays hidden for three and a half years. And finally, he shows himself, and he tells the king, bring the prophets of Baal to the Mount Carmel, and let's have a showdown. And so they end up in a showdown. I'm just I'm ad-libbing and telling you the story for the sake of time. And Elijah says to the 450 prophets of Baal, you, listen, you build an altar, and put a sacrifice on it, and you call out to your gods, and it, whatever God answers by fire, then that's the God Israel should serve. And so they build, a pro, they build a, a, an altar, and they offer sacrifices, and they're cutting themselves, and blood's running. Uh, it, it, blood's running. It's running. It's like puddling up around their altar, and they're, it says that they rave from, the, from morning till night, and Elijah taunted them. He, like, he said things like, maybe your God's on the toilet. Maybe he's gone on vacation. And then finally, Elijah says, okay, all of Israel. And there was no fire. Nothing happened. And then Elijah said, okay, everybody, look at me. And it says this, that all of Israel gathered to watch us. So it's probably in some sort of valley where the Israelites could see what was going on. And so Elijah takes, builds an altar, puts a sacrifice on it, and makes them pour water on it so it would be fireproof. And then he says a one-line prayer like, God, show us that you're the God of all gods. And whew, fire comes down. It consumes the sacrifice. It consumes the, the stone altar. <laughs> it can, and it, get this, this is, the, this is what it says, and it licked up the water. And then Elijah says, okay, kill the prophets of Baal. Very Old Testament-ish, kind of gladiator movie-ish. The people of Israel, they kill the prophets of Baal, and they begin to chant, Jehovah is God, Jehovah is God. And in one day, Elijah turns the entire nation of Israel back to God. 
in one day. Remember, this was going on for years, and Elijah, in one day, in what was happening in, for decades, Elijah turned the whole heart of Israel back to God in one day. Immediately, the next chapter, that's in the 18th chapter of uh, 1 Kings, by the way. In the 19th chapter, the, uh, Elijah, this is, I'll read you verse 2. Then Jezebel sent a message to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and even more if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow at this time. And so Jezebel curses Elijah and says, You'll be dead by tomorrow. And for some reason, he freaks out. All of us are married. We have some compassion. All of us men who are married, we have some compassion for Elijah. We understand the power of womanhood. It was supposed to be a joke, but it didn't go well. Okay. <laughs> if you have to explain it, it ain't funny. <laughs> Elijah has a complete nervous breakdown. He immediately runs away, gets in the middle of a desert, and tells God, kill me, I'm done. He ends up suicidal. God has to send angels to feed him. He ends up in a cave all alone. Like, do you understand where I'm going? Like, this guy just had the biggest victory of his life. He stopped the rain. He started the rain. I forgot to tell you that. He immediately starts the rain. It doesn't drip a little raindrops falling on my head. It pours. He kills the 450 prophets of Baal. All of Israel turns to God. This is, this is the climax of his entire ministry. This is the greatest thing that's ever happened in his life and in probably one of the 10 greatest miracles that ever happened in all of Israel's history. And all the Israel turns to God. And one woman curses him. And he runs for his life and becomes suicidal. And he becomes, he becomes almost schizophrenic. And he tells God, kill me. And he begins to think that he's the only one left. And God, he's in a cave. And listen to these words. He's in a cave, and God comes to him a cave. It's in verse 9 of chapter 19. Then he came there to a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing, Elijah? And he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God, the God of hosts. For the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. I don't know if you just heard what he just said. He said, they have forsaken the Lord, gone after the, the prophets of Baal, that they have killed the prophets of God, and I'm the only one left. Now, I don't mean like Elijah's greatest victory was like three years earlier. It was yesterday. You're not even getting where I'm going. The day before all of Israel turned to the Lord, they killed the prophets of Baal. And Elijah knows he's not alone. Because one of the guys told Elijah that he was hiding the other prophets. But when you get under the spirit of Jezebel, am I talking to anyone? You suddenly, the real, your reality changes, and you can't even remember that yesterday you had a victory, not just a victory, but the greatest victory of your life, because you're under a spirit, you become suicide or irrational, and you're retelling a story that freaking ain't true. But it feels true. And God meets him there. And does this display, God says to him, go forth and stand in the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord was passing by, and great rocks 
and great rocks, and a strong wind was renting the mountains and breaking them in pieces, and the rocks, breaking the pieces, breaking pieces of the rock before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after an earthquake, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. And after a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire sounded a gentle blowing. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his mantle. He wrapped his, uh, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And then he said to him, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of the hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I am alone and left. The Lord said to him, I want you to, and the Lord gives him a commission. And he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get back to your ministry. I want you to go commission two kings. And I want you to go find a son. I want you to go, I want you to go raise up Elisha in your place. He goes down to uh, Elisha's house. And he throws a mantle on this young man who's plowing with 12 oxen, 24 oxen, 12 pairs of oxen. He doesn't say anything to him. He just throws his mantle on him and walks away. And when he walks away, Elisha says, hey, 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 wait a second. I'm going to go with you. Let me, let, me go, let me go kiss my father goodbye. Let me. And Elisha, Elijah says to Elisha, what did I do to you? What did I do to you? Elisha follows him, kills the oxen. And by the way, I want you to know, this wasn't just a sacrifice of the oxen. I want you to understand that when Elijah threw the mantle on Elisha, that was a test to see if he could see what couldn't be seen so he could do what couldn't be done. He throws the mantle on Elijah and walks away without words. Elisha immediately goes back and kills all 24 oxen and has a big, and sacrifices them to the Lord. What I'm getting at is he burns his bridges he has no way back. He doesn't like, I'll try the ministry, and if it works, I'll be with you. But if it doesn't, I, got, I can go back to farming. He can't go back to farming. He just destroyed all of his equipment. And he follows Elisha for eight years. And I have to tell the story quickly. He follows Elisha for eight years. And then at the end of eight years, at the end of eight years, verse 19 uh, is him following Elisha. At the end of eight years, they begin to, they, 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 they go from city to city on what turns out to be their farewell tour. And as Elijah and Elisha, they go from city to city to three cities on what turns out to be a farewell tour. And as they go, um, they hear this. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, while he was plowing. I'm sorry, I already did that. Um, verse, verse chapter 2 of Kings. Second Kings, it came about when the Lord was about to take Elijah up by a whirlwind to heaven, that Elijah went, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. And Elisha said to Elisha, Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, please, as the Lord has sent me to Bethel. See that? But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So he went down to Bethel. And then the sons of the prophets, I want you to hear this. Then the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, do you know that the Lord will take away your master from you today? And he said, yes, I know, be still. And Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho and the sons of the prophets and the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho approached Elisha and said, do you know that the Lord will take away your master from you today? And he answered, yes, I know, be still. Then Elijah said to him, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me 
to, uh, to Jordan. And he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Now 50 men from the sons of the prophets went and stood the opposite of them at the distance while the two of them stood at the Jordan. And Elijah took the mantle and folded it together and struck the waters. And they were divided there. And the two of them crossed over. I want you just to notice something. I want you to notice that Elijah, Elijah went into the cave as an orphan prophet. And he came out as a spiritual father. From that day on, all the people who followed Elijah were called the sons of the prophet. Are you with me? I'm, 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 I'm asking, Malachi said, in the last days, Elijah will come and he will store the hearts of sons and daughters to fathers and the hearts of fathers to sons and daughters. Why is it Elijah? Well, how many know what happened to him on this side of the cross? The man went into the cave, an orphan prophet, and he came out a spiritual father. And consequently, all the people who followed him were called sons of the prophets. And how many understand the revelatory gift that was on Elijah came on Elisha, but it came on a whole community. They all knew by revelation that Elijah was going to go up. Are you with me? The time comes and Elijah asked Elisha, what do you want? What can I do for you? And he said that, that you would give me a double portion. Are you getting this? You would give me a double portion of your spirit. And he said, that's a hard thing, but if you see me when I go up, you'll have it. And then the chariot and fire come, and Elijah, Elijah goes up in the, behind the chariot of fire. And Elisha says, my father, my father, not my prophet, my prophet. My father, my father, the horses and chariots of Israel. And the mantle falls to him. All the sons of the prophets are standing at the Jordan River, watching Elijah go up. Um, I, I just want to point out something, that Elijah didn't go up in the chariot. He went up behind the chariot of fire. And what's my point? Remember, Elijah learned, remember Elijah, when he was in the cave, and there was the wind, and there was the earthquake, and there was the fire, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake, the wind, or the fire? Now the question is, can, does Elijah understand that the Lord's not in the fire? Does Elisha understand that he has to keep his eyes on the Father, not on the fire? And what I'm getting at is that there was something trying to separate the generations. See, Elijah said, Elisha said, I want a double portion of your anointing. He said, you can have it, but you can't keep your eyes on the shiny thing. You got to keep your eyes on me. And what I'm getting at is lots of people have exchanged the shiny thing for their father. Are you with me? We have people that know their fantasy football stats more than they know their reality father. Have people being raised by machines, the shiny things in the bedroom. They're more acquainted with their video games than they are with their parents. The shiny things have separated us, and there's a reason why we don't have a double portion anointing on this generation. <laughs> the spirit of distraction. Now, this, nowadays, there are shiny things that are separating generations, the generations. This has become the Generation F, the fake, the fantasy, the fatherless, the fan page generation. Kids are being raised by their machines who know their video games better than they know their parents. The side effects of being raised by a video parents is that you don't know how to be a reality man. 
cyber distractions have led us to relational disconnects, which have undermined the double portion mandate, mandate, leaving boys ill-equipped for manhood. But the good news is Elijah is coming. Elijah is coming. And did you notice that Elijah went up in the chariot and he came down at the Mount Transfiguration? It was Moses and Elijah in the New Covenant talking to Jesus. When the disciples, Peter, James, and John, you know, if they had Ringo, they would have been a band. When they come down from the mountain after the Mount Transfiguration experience where there was Moses and Elijah and God spoke and Jesus turned, shined white, was shining and glistening like the sun. When they came down from the mountain, isn't it interesting? They don't ask about Moses. They don't ask about the voice. They don't ask about the manifestation of Jesus shining like, shining like a sun. They ask him about Elijah. And they said, we heard Elijah's coming. Malachi 4. We heard Elijah's coming. We heard Elijah's coming. And that he'll restore all things. And Jesus begins to tell them, Elijah has come, but they didn't see him. And the Bible says they were talking about John the Baptist. They asked John, are you Elijah? He said, no. How many of you know John the Baptist wasn't Elijah, but he was the personification of Elijah because he was making crooked places straight and rough places smooth and preparing the way of the Lord. Are you with me at all? Yeah. <laughs> you know, what's funny to me is I didn't see this until just about two months ago when I was finishing the book on fatherlessness. Not only did, Eli not only did Elijah end up in the new covenant, but so did Jezebel. She's in the book of Revelation. <laughs> and you know what she's doing? She's corrupting the sons and daughters of God with immorality. And God said, I'm going to put her on a sickbed, and I'm going to kill all of her children. I'm going to kill immorality. I'm going to kill adultery. I'm going to kill fornication. I'm going to kill homosexuality. God's going to kill all of her children. Everything she gave birth to that polluted the church. <laughs> I'm telling you. Acts chapter 3, I'm, I'm getting close. Acts chapter 3, verse 25, Peter is preaching to a crowd that was gathered. Remember, Peter and John were at the temp temple beautiful, at the gate beautiful, and there was a lame man there. Am I going too fast? Am I confusing you? There was a lame man there, right? And, uh, and he's asking for alms, for money. Peter says, well, we don't have money. We are pastors. But what we have, we give to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Walk. And the Bible says he walked and leaped and praised God, right? And he had been sitting there for like 14 years. So everybody knew this dude, right? And when he starts walking, everyone's like, isn't he the guy who was at the gate? Beautiful. And 3,000 people gather at the gate, and Peter begins to preach to them. Yeah. You remember this? Yeah. And we know the end, of, the end goal was 3,000 people got saved that day. But I want to read you the last line of Peter's preach to 3,000. Listen to this. It is you who are the sons of the prophets of the covenant which God made with your father, saying to Abraham, and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Oh, you didn't get that. It is you who are the sons of the prophets. These people just got saved. And who does Peter identify them with? The sons of the prophets. What did Elijah give birth to 
when he came out of the cave. He went in as an orphan prophet, but he came out as a spiritual father. Everybody that followed Elijah after that was called the sons of the prophets. And what were they blessed with? The same revelation that was on Elijah was on Elisha in a double portion. And the same revelation that was on Elisha was on all the prophets. They all knew by revelation that he was going up. They went from city to city. There was no telephones. There was no internet. There was no way for them to go, hey, you guys in, in Jericho, in Bethany, we just got this prophetic word that it's going to go up. Oh, yeah, okay. No, there was no cross-pollination. They knew by revelation because they were the sons of the prophets and they inherited the IP property of their father, Elijah. Yeah. Then Peter sees 3,000 people get saved and he goes, this is that. Yeah. Elijah is coming. I'd propose that Elijah is not a person. He's the personification of the restoration of fatherhood. Yeah. <laughs> And that God, <laughs> sorry, why am I yelling? And God is restoring fatherhood. Like we're in the midst of the greatest reformation in the history of the world. Right now. Right now. We're in the great, like, do you know it? Do you know it? Or is Jezebel infecting you? I see the Jezebel spirit infecting the church in two ways. One, one we're redefining what it looks like to be successful. And we're letting the media, who is under the power, I'm not talking about people. We're letting the media, who's under the, the, the spirit of Jezebel, define success. <laughs> and secondly, we, immorality is seeping into the church in which we no longer know right from wrong. I don't know how much more to say because I'll offend a whole bunch of people. I'm not trying to offend you. I'm trying to fire you up. I'm trying to get you to see that people are identifying as, as Christians and living a lifestyle of sin. And when you tell people the truth, they're like, you're not being loving. <laughs> being loving. When your doctor tells you you have cancer, is he being, not being loving? If you have anorexia, are you supposed to agree with the anorexic person? Oh, yeah, you look great. You should continue your diet. Stupid is as stupid does. We should be compassionate and loving, but we should prepare the way of the Lord. I believe, by the way, i got to tell you this part. Jason started this ministry called Braveco. And um, anyway, gosh, there's so much to say. We got this prophetic word about starting a stadium. This people didn't even know who we were. They didn't even know we had any kind of, this was before we had an organization. And they said, we see you in 2021 in a stadium in L.A. filling the stadium with men. That already happened. We just did it. Uh, John Eldridge, who wrote Wild at Heart. He's going to write the forward for my book. He was at our men's retreat. I mean, this is like, are you with me? The generations, the man who led the, the, the man movement, the masculine movement, is commissioning the next generation and saying, you guys go for it. Jay, he was a, Jay called him and never, never met him before, just called him and said, hey, could you come to our conference? I, I just, I'm just trying to say, like, momentum is growing. We got a whole uh, Promise Keepers leadership team 
my son called him and said, hey, I heard, you know, I got your number, this is, and, and the guy's like, yeah, we're going to do this event, and Jay started telling him about what happened and how the Lord gave him this prophetic word and how they're building this thing to disciple, not just to fill stadiums, but to teach, but to disciple men in small groups, and, da -da. and, the, and, the, uh, and the president, a promise keeper said, we want to do what you're doing. We'll throw our strength at what you're doing, and what I'm getting at is there's a movement growing. It's just size of a man's hand. Are you with me? But I'm telling you, it's going to rain. I'm telling you, it's going to rain. And if you're watching the media, people are like, oh, okay. Men need a rite of passage to be men. And I think I should be done. It's quarter after. I want us just to pray. The mantle of John the Baptist, so to speak, or Elijah, more accurately, is not resting on a person. It's resting on a generation. Malachi saw it. Very interesting thing. My oldest grandson, when he was in the womb of his mother, I had a dream, and the Lord said, you're to name this young man, you're to name this boy, Elijah, for he will take your place. So I sat with my kids and I said, this is going to sound weird. I hope it don't make you mad, but you're supposed to name your kid Elijah. And, his, and Heather, his mother, said, okay, I think that's the right thing to do. And we named him Elijah. That's my first grandson. My last great-grandson, who my granddaughter just had three months ago, she had a dream, and the Lord said, name him Malachi. Malachi, Elijah, Jen Johnson, and Brian just adopted a son the same age as my great-grandson, months old. The Lord gave her a prophetic word and said, you will name him Malachi. It's the Malachi generation. It's the Malachi mandate. The Lord is going to restore the hearts of fathers to sons and daughters. Like, I can feel it coming. Can you hear the noise? Can you feel the earthquake, the wind? The Lord's not in any of those things, but he is in you. I want to tell you one sad thing. Elijah was supposed to go commission two kings to destroy, and he was to, and he was to, do, and he was to kill Jezebel. He didn't do it. He didn't commission either king, and Jezebel lived 14 years longer than God had assigned her to. And it was finally Elisha who commissioned the king who threw her out of the window. And what I'm getting at is that what was the Lord's, what was the Lord's um, rebuke to the church in Revelation 2? You have tolerated the Jezebel. You have tolerated the prophetess Jezebel. You have let her stay longer than I assigned. The Lord said, I gave her time to repent, but you have tolerated her. And I believe that the Lord wants to throw, it's not a person. Our battle's not against flesh and blood. Anything I said today, even Old Testament, the New Testament version is not against people. 
But we need to throw that spirit out of the window. We need to fulfill the call of God in the Malachi mandate. And we need to release the Elijah spirit on this generation, make crooked places straight, and stop tolerating what God has judged. Would you stand? You are the sons of the prophets. You didn't get it. You are the sons of the prophets. Listen to this. I believe, I can't, I can't prove this, but I believe that when Elisha got a double portion anointing, that not only did he get it, but it was given to all the sons of the prophets because he became... Elisha became their spiritual father, and whatever was on him was on them. I believe we're living in a double portion season where you have more than you think you do. It's hard when you spend two hours watching the news and 10 minutes reading your Bible to wonder why you feel discouraged. I watch the news too. In fact, I, haven't, I have to be honest, I haven't watched the news in about seven months. Because of what I went through. I, I don't mean it's, I'm, I never will again. I mean, I just felt to fast the news. I felt like I got so deep in, in the confusion of what's them and what's God. I just felt like I had to fast the information for a season. I do look at the Fox News app sometimes, and I, I don't even know if I've, I've read a full article in six months. I've read some of the highlights just to her points and wonder what's going on. But I just felt like I had to fast the information for a season and, and, and try, if you will, I feel like I'm at the threshing floor of Nacon where the Lord is taking the chaff from the wheat. And I need to be more clear-minded. Lord, what exactly are you saying? Because sometimes what we think is prophetic is a reaction to what the enemy's saying instead of a response to what he's saying. And I don't want to live in reaction anymore. I, I don't want to be the activist. I want to be the revivalist. And so would you put your hands on your heart, please? Lord, I thank you for all of these people in here, and I, I thank you for this apostolic center. And Lord, may we commission this center tonight, today, this day. May we commission this to the restoration of fatherhood, to the restoration of motherhood, to the restoration of children. And God, may they trace back 100 years from now this great reformation back to this place, right in the heart of the beast, right next to the capital. May we see the nations, may we disciple the nations in the restoration of the family. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit BethelATX.com.